and I think I'm I honestly, I'm still in a place where I struggle with the idea of God delighting in me or there being any kind of desire for relationship. And I, one day, I just went off on them and I said, do you know what kind of privilege you have to be able to do that? Do you know how much I would love to be able to do that? Like, I have so much that I would say and I can't say it. So stop complaining (laughs) and recognize your privilege. That like of God saying, look, they're trying. Look, like, oh, like, that's not how you do that at all. But... Oh, you know, like, look at their heart. And I think, like, that's, I think, the view I have of God now. Welcome to the Walking Closer podcast. This is episode 58, titled, To Him Through Her. This title really highlights a perspective that I think most males are unaware of. And that is the the feeling of a disconnect from God uh, as a woman uh, because of his maleness. Uh, This is something I think that most of us men probably take for granted. However, for my next guest, this was a part of her reality. And she also provides us with some things to think about and really uh, meditate on as we consider our perspectives of God. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. All right, guys, I am joined by Jill Yarbrough, and uh, Jill joins me as I wrap up a series of episodes that have been primarily focused on our mental visualizations of God, um, that is, in our minds, what we think about God when we, uh, when, when we pray, when we worship, uh, what is those mental visualizations, those pictures we have of who God is, and I've been really fascinated by this. Mostly because it helps us understand or get down to the root of where that's come from, the things that reinforce that image and prop it up. Those are the things that are really important. And as I've emphasized over and over again, there isn't an image that's necessarily right or wrong. It just is. And it's based on you know, your upbringing, based on lots of factors. Um, and the goal here is to not just help us consider what that image is, but where it's come from and to analyze those things to see if uh, those things are actually helpful or or harmful. And so Jill joins me. Jill actually is the wife of a previous uh, guest, Zach, and um, we're going to wrap this series up uh, with her. And so Jill, thanks for joining me on this episode. Thanks for having me. Okay, so what we want to do is just jump right in, talking about your mental visualization of God. Mm -hmm. But uh, I want us to start way back in the beginning. And so... Uh, just kind of give us a little bit of background information, where you come from, where you grew up, what your family life was like, um, some things that you can point out to us that might help us understand your story a little bit better. Um, let's talk about, you know, when were you introduced to God and, uh, you know, what were those images um, that were created in your mind? Yeah. So I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, and born and raised there. I have my parents and then a younger sister, and... My parents both came from pretty strong Christian background. <clears throat> my mom's dad, so my maternal grandfather, was a preacher, Church of Christ preacher. And then um, my parents actually met 
in high school when my grandfather was going through the school of preaching there at Sunset um, School of Preaching. And so my dad grew up at that church. My parents met at that church. And so when I was born, we attended that church for the majority of my childhood. And so pretty much both sides of the family had pretty homogenous views of religion. And um, so I was pretty well just entrenched in that um, from all of our family members. Attending church was not a question. We had, we went every Sunday, every Wednesday, and that was just a part of our life. That wasn't up for debate um, my entire life. I think a lot of kids get to kind of, as they get older in youth group and <clears throat> things like that, can make their own decisions about if they want to go somewhere else or if they don't want to attend. But I think my parents actually got stricter about that when I got older to where not only that did we go on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but we also, I was now required to go on Sunday nights too, because we had youth activities after Sunday night and I had to attend every youth activity. <laughs> so, um, that was definitely, um, my experience throughout my entire childhood until until I turned 18 and could make my own decisions. Okay, so I'm not really <clears> about Sunset. That gives me, uh, for those who don't know, Sunset, um, I guess I would consider Sunset pretty mainstream conservative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, although back in, uh, back years back, um, I met a few from there who were i guess uh they were teachers in the school i guess um that had some views that surprised me that were mm -hmm. you know kind of open um so um since it's pretty big it was a pretty big church too right mm -hmm. yeah when i was growing up i think there were i want to say they were close to two thousand members i think it's a little okay. smaller now still okay but still a thousand plus <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> that's awesome uh so so you're 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 a mega church, <laughs> Church of Christ. That's about as big as you're right. gonna get, right? And uh, and Zach was a uh, mini church. Um, so so yeah. you know, uh, did you have any concept growing up of? And I I even don't like using these words, but they help build some sort of structure for us to help us understand. Uh, did you have any sort of concept of? Um, you know, conservative, liberal, you know, anti, you know, denominational, mm -hmm. we're different, we're set apart, who's in, who's yeah. out? Yes, 100%. Um, okay. I don't think I had a lot of understanding of sort of the variations within Church of Christ circles, but I was acutely aware of the okay. difference between what I believed and what other people believed. And mm -hmm. To the point that, like, I am naturally a pretty black and white thinker, and, you know, there's sort of the nature or nurture component of that. I think some of that came from some of the ways that I was brought up and maybe things I was exposed to, um, but some of that I think is just me. And I, from very young age, was obsessed with rules and what's right and what's wrong, to the point that uh, my mom would tell the story that when I was about three years old, we were at the grocery store and I wanted to eat some food. And she said, we can't eat that. You didn't pay, f we didn't pay for it yet. And so it was like three-year-old me filed that away as a rule. And then a few weeks later, we went to pay less to try to buy some shoes. And my mom wanted me to try the shoes on <laughs> and I wouldn't try them on. 
because we hadn't paid for them. (laughs) And she had to get the salesperson to come and explain to me that it was okay to try them on. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, I've always had that sort of just tell me the rule and I'll follow it. Okay. And um, so I think sometimes that really rigid um, legalistic thinking was comfortable for me from a young age. And so basically, as soon as I realized that other people maybe believed different things than us, Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand why. And so I was probably a pretty inappropriate little child, just like, asking my friends, where do you go to church? Mm-hmm. And then I don't think I ever asked them. I think I knew enough. I had enough social awareness to not ask them like what they believed or do you, do you believe an, an instrumental music or do you believe, sure. you know, whatever. But um, I definitely was like, okay, they said Methodist. File that away. Go home. Mom, what do Methodists <laughs> believe? And, you know, I needed to understand the difference. Yes, and. Yes. And, you know, we'd be driving down the street and I'd see a church and say, what is, what does that church believe? Like, and, and, and then not just what do they believe, but why do they believe that? And why don't we believe that? Where do they get that from? And there's also, I think, you know, there's that black and white thinking in me, but also something that, and I feel like this will sound like a humble brag, but I think it's just a reality. I'm a really empathetic person. I don't have any trouble putting myself in another person's shoes and sometimes to my detriment to the point where it's hard for me to advocate for my own needs because I can see the other person's perspective. Um, so it's not always a positive, but it's definitely something I've had throughout my life to where I kind of don't understand how other people can't yes. do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but so I would want to understand, well, where are they getting this from? Okay, so my mom was really great about explaining things to me. I always went to my mom. Um not because my dad's very you know religious person and and in some ways a spiritual leader in our family but just my relationship with him wasn't the type where I would go to him with those kinds of questions until I was older when I was a young child though my mom was the one who explained religious things to me and um she would I would have her show me like where where do they get that from they have to get that from somewhere show me in the bible where they get that from okay well why why don't we think that? And then she would have to like kind of work it out with me. And I feel like that laid the groundwork for my future spiritual development where I started to realize as an adult that reasonable people can disagree on something mm-hmm. and both have reasonable perspectives on it. Yeah. And it's not as clear cut as everyone likes to make it sometimes. Does that make sense? I know I'm jumping ahead, but um, I think that was the natural progression of that. But I feel like that's the where that foundation came from was just me having friends and meeting people who I respected, who their logic made sense to me and I could see that perspective. Okay, so mm-hmm. how many generations back do you know? Well, so my mom's family was probably, I think, my mom's family was like first generation. Like her okay. parents were first generation. Um, I think that my my dad's parents were definitely at least second generation, if not mm-hmm. further than that. Yeah. But Okay. Yeah. So you're in a, you know, we, we, we would say somewhat conservative, <clears throat> you know, environment. Um, but that didn't keep you from... Um, asking questions, being inquisitive, mm-hmm. investigating, you know, wanting to know. 
um, you're a black and white thinker to a degree, right? You think that you think that that's just your personality, the way you are. You think that was a coping mechanism. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I think it's a combination. I think it was probably something that I ha- I had a natural tendency towards. Okay. Um, my sister's not like that, you know. Okay, so yeah. um, I think there's something about my personality, but also just being growing up in a church that was pretty black and white about things. Yeah. And then okay. I'm my dad's a very black and white thinker so okay. um i think okay combination all right but uh you, you know you still you know wanted to know why um you're growing up in this environment that um it's not keeping you from asking questions it's keeping mm-hmm. you from wondering and wanting to know um and so you're learning at, a, at an early age or whether you, whether consciously or subconsciously you're beginning to understand and see and uh, ultimately, that leads you down a path like you talked about earlier. But uh, looking back, growing up in that environment. So I was always aware that God existed and always felt like it was my job to not please him because I don't think that I even had that concept of him being pleased with me, but to do what he wanted. And so I needed to know what the rules were and I needed to follow them. And I think I definitely didn't have that concept of relationship with him. Um, It was all about, like him having expectations of me and meeting me needing to meet them. And that there wasn't any kind of, it was just, you better obey. And if you didn't, then he wouldn't, it wasn't about, it was, I don't think there was any, even any emotion attached to it to me, like this idea of him being mad or anything like that. But just if you did, if he, you didn't, then there would be consequences and it was just a very logical sort of dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, looking back, it's definitely, this is cliche, but I think it's the reality that a lot of people uh, model their view of God after their father. And that's definitely how my relationship with my father was when I was young. Um, I think, you know, we've grown, there's been a lot that's gone on since then and we've grown a lot and I understand him differently and he understands Mm -hmm. me differently, but as a young child, I definitely saw my dad as the rule maker and you, and if you don't, if you do something wrong or you don't do what you're supposed to do, then you know what will happen and it's not my fault. It's just, you know, just the reality. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, yeah, I didn't ever, it's taken me and I think I'm honestly, I'm still in a place where I struggle with the idea of. God delighting in me or there being any kind of desire for relationship or real care for me. Mm. Um, but, and I think that a lot of that stems from that idea of yeah. trying to, to be on the right side of it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and that, that makes sense, especially if you have a more logical based concept of God it just is right um, he, he is just in control he says do this do this if you don't there are consequences 
no emotional attachments there, no relationship there. Do you ever question why? Or was there not a place to question that because it just was? The same idea of like, well, he made the world and he's yeah. the boss. You don't question the boss. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't think that I ever as, you know, unless I, I would have had to have doubted God's existence to okay. question it kind yeah. of. So would you say that this continued through, you know, from childhood all the way through your teen years? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, like, I had, so I went through a missions program after high school. I was exposed to that in my teen years because I grew up at Sunset's youth group and the School of Preaching had Adventures and Missions program. So their students would work with our youth group a lot. So that's how I kind of got connected and learned about the program. And... Honestly, I mean, I feel like my relationship with God really changed then in terms of I understood the idea that there could be a relationship and I started to, I think I started to develop that idea of wanting to please him and realizing that I could have a closer relationship Mm -hmm. than um, than I had that it wasn't just about like being on the right side of something. It was about walking, walking closer and, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, about, you know, moving towards something. Um, so, and I, and that's when I decided I wanted to go through that program mostly because I, my exposure to the people who were in aim changed the way I viewed my faith and so I wanted more of that and so that's why that was my motivation really and then I think I also became aware of that concept of the lost Mm -hmm. and um, especially in other parts of the world that maybe don't have the same exposure that that I had and Mm -hmm. so it was also that was a big driving force for me Um, again still very much a like black and white like okay, this is a good lofty goal to have. Like God told us we should be saving these people. So that's going to be, I'm going to do that. And that's going to, that's going to be a good thing. But I think I started to kind of grasp the idea of, of having relationship and that I was a, I as a person mattered Mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. And so in the AIM program, uh, tell us about that and how that affected your faith and your view of God. So, yeah. So in AIM, after the, training in Lubbock, I went to France and I spent almost two years there. And the church that I worked with there was very small. Um, we, I don't know how many we had on the biggest Sunday we ever had, but it was under 30 people mm-hmm. on, there was a Sunday where it was just me and one other person worshiping. So, I mean, it was very small wow. and, um, we worshiped in a house, um, the majority of the time that I was there. Um, it was a really challenging time for me. I enjoyed that time, but when I look back on it, um, it was really challenging and it shaped a lot of things for me in the future in, in a good way and in a negative way. It gave me a, um, a heart for people around the world and just it opened my eyes as any, I think, international experience does for people. It just shows you that how small you are and and how vast and diverse the world is and 
it gives just an appreciation for, again, different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a really big positive for me and changed the trajectory of my life in that sense. Um, the missionaries I worked with there, wonderful people, very, very conservative. Um, and that definitely pushed me in a more conservative path for a while. Um, but again, it's interesting because I think about sort of how I got to where I am now. And even in the midst of me becoming more conservative, I still always wrestled and questioned things, um, to the point that, okay, well, if we're going to get to this legalism, like let's take it to its full extent. Mm. And it wasn't me challenging and saying, that that's wrong. It was me truly trying to hash things out. Like, okay, so if we're going to say that like women have to be silent in church, then what about songs where the men sing and the women echo? Is that okay? Because then the women are singing by themselves. So is that okay? And Mm -hmm. if so, why? (laughs) What about songs where the women start? Like what about those songs that have the four parts where the Mm -hmm. sopranos and the altos, tenors and bass all sing different words. The women are singing something different than the men. Like there's, they're edifying God in a different way than the men. So you can't say that it's all unified mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, mm-hmm. congregational. So is that okay? I think that's kind of women leading. And I mean, I would just sort of like, sure. I would work through that. And yeah, it wasn't yeah. me trying to say, well, if you're going to say that, then it's it ridiculous. But yeah, yeah. like, I just mm-hmm. want to work through this. Like, where's the line? And I, I need to understand. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of time doing that and, um, it was interesting because the the missionaries and I would have like these really intense conversations about that kind of stuff, and I mean it was mostly enjoyable. I think it led to some some headbutting, but sure. um, but mostly it was um, I think it I don't know it edified everybody. But I definitely walked away feeling really unsure about where I stood on a lot of issues, yeah. um, and definitely leaned more conservative because it was sort of a better safe than sorry kind of mindset. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember after when I came back from France, I, um, went to college and went to a private Christian school and I wrote a paper on like women's head covering, um, because, because I wanted to research that issue. Cause that was yeah. still something I wrestled with. I was mm-hmm. still really every Sunday I felt a little bit like, a conviction like I feel like I should be covering my head I don't know if I should I feel like I've worked I've worked this out but have I I don't know and so like I had to so I had to research it out and so whenever yeah. we were given a topic in one of my bible classes about we could pick what we wanted to write our paper on I was like I'm writing it on head covering because I'm gonna figure <laughs> this out and so um yeah I think that was another stage in my life where but I was I was very very conservative and um it's kind of funny to look back on that now because I don't relate to a lot of it anymore but um I still find that thread of me and and I understand how I how I came to be where I am now but Mm -hmm. that was definitely a a weird little blip in my path (laughs) so when you're in the aim program and then you, you come through that obviously you know great experience I mean you were in it two years right um Great experiences, no doubt. I mean, just uh, wow, just, just the simple fact of learning how to see from another perspective, especially from across the world, and what that does when you, you're out of your comfort zone, you're out of your culture, and you're in another, right? Um, man, that the effect that it has on us is amazing.
traveling shows, uh, the host, this is kind of his tagline. He says, uh, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And then he was happy traveling, right? And this is a, a quote from uh, Mark Twain. Um, and I believe that. I mean, I've only been overseas once for a week. Uh, I can only imagine what it have been like for, you know, two years. Um, and you, you were in France the whole time? Uh, yeah, I lived in France the whole time. Okay. I got to travel a lot while I was there. Um, I got to go to French-speaking Africa for a month. That's and awesome. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So did you learn French? Yes. Yeah. I took intensive language school the whole time I was there. Oh, nice. Um, It was, it's the part of France we were in, I think most of France, but the part of France we were in really, you have, you can't function if you don't speak French. Not enough people speak English. So you became fluent? Um, I mean, I would say so, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Don't test me, but... (laughs) You thought about God, your image of God, that Mm -hmm. middle mental visualization did it change at all i kind of reverted back to the childhood view of yeah. god yeah. um because i it, i got that more you know legalistic mm-hmm. um vision of like the scales and sort of weighing things out and, sure. and knowing which side is right and wrong sure. was uh was there any emotion attached to it you see God is angry. I mean, scene. I don't think so. I think yeah. I know that, you know, we talk about, um, you know, God calling down fire for like, mm-hmm. um, false worship. And, sure. and that was definitely something that was tried sort of instilled in me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't think, feel like I ever internalized that. I just, okay, yeah. I get it. I get that's mm-hmm. a, I get that point that you're making yeah. with that story. But, um, I did never see God as, as, angry in that way did you see god as love no (laughs) i don't i mean i would say i would have to say no because i'm sitting here thinking about it and the fact that i have to think it's like no Mm -hmm. i don't i don't think so um i definitely in that phase so i think it was a big decision for me to go to aim and i definitely had that view in making the decision i prayed a lot about it and I definitely had this idea that like God had a right path for me and I needed to find it. And if I made the wrong choice that like I was going to be, he wasn't going to be mad at me, but it was like I was limiting his ability to work in my life because I didn't make the right path decision. And so I think I still held that perspective mm-hmm. while I was overseas. And then when I came back and deciding where to go to college and what to do with that kind of stuff, it's definitely this idea that like God has it decided for me if I'm going to get married, who I'm going to marry, all of those kinds of things. And it's my job to figure it out. So, um, yeah. Okay. So then, all right. So you're back in the States. You go to college four years. Was it longer than that? Was it less than that? It was less than that. (laughs) Well, uh, let's see. Um, I think I graduated in three. Okay. So, yeah. Well. <laughs> even even with a transfer. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I was okay. very fortunate to yeah. get credits and things. So yes, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. So you graduate in three years. Your college experience um, did that change anything for you? Well, um, I'm gonna lay it all out there. So um, I went to Harding University for the first year, and that was it's a wonderful school. 
It was not a good fit for me in my life circumstances, having lived overseas on my own. Um, it's a very, it's great for someone who's lived at home and just 18, newly graduated, figuring out how to be an adult, very sheltered environment. You have to live on campus. Um, you know, Cersei is basically just the university. So there's literally next to nothing to do that doesn't involve the university. So you're in this own, you're very sheltered little community, which is great for an 18 year old who lived at home before. But for someone who is, I think I was 21, almost 22. When I moved there, I had lived overseas, spoke another language and I was being asked to, you know, check in every night. I like, they literally check your bed every night to make sure that you're in it. Um, and (laughs) it was, I mean, I could go on um, about that, but it was just a really it. And I, I felt a lot of pressure to what, like what, what's next for Jill? Like she did this amazing thing overseas and, Mm. you know, tried to save the lost and what are you going to do now? Mm. And (laughs) I felt a lot of pressure. And I think some of that comes from go attending the church where the program was initiated. So everyone's acutely like they are very aware and they know, and they all got my newsletter and they all are following my story and we expect great things from Jill. And so I think all that pressure just built up a lot. And then I went to Harding. It wasn't what I thought. Um, I just felt really isolated. I had a lot of reverse culture shock, just reentry back into the United States culture. Yeah. Um, combined with all of those things. And, um, I developed a really significant eating disorder. Um, and ended up transferring back home to Lubbock Christian because my, I wanted to be closer to home and it was just a combination of everything Mm -hmm. and went through treatment the whole time I was, while I finished my undergrad degree. Um, so whenever I think about my perspective on God during that time, I, I have to be honest about that because it definitely colored my view. Yeah. Um, you know, I was not in a place mentally, um, to think about him in the ways that I had before. And I mean, that was absolutely my, my like rock bottom time in my life. And it was about five years that um, I went through that. And I still, I felt I blamed myself. I had a lot of shame. It's taken a long time for me to be comfortable even telling people about it um, because I had a lot of shame around it. I treated it like a sin problem um, and like, um, not having enough faith in God problem, like that he could pull me out of it if I would Mm -hmm. just let him. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, which made it worse because a big part of that was, was just feeling shame Mm -hmm. in the first place. (laughs) So, and not feeling good enough and that, that just added to it. So, um, I felt, I think I tried and tried and tried to, get quote closer to God during that time. I prayed and prayed and read my Bible and I was probably the most on paper devout person that I had been, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't getting better. And I think some of it was sort of a, that feeling of not being, I still wasn't good enough and you doing all those things wasn't enough. And Mm. I I started to feel really like really lost about that and really sort of, what does this mean? If, Mm -hmm. and I remember I think I think I told my mom this like it's not that I don't trust that God can do this it's that I don't know that I can do this and I don't like there's this disconnect like how does God get me to the point where I can do this yeah, yeah. 
So does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, it's almost, yeah. Were you think you were afraid to go to that place where it sounds like you were conditioned to think that if it didn't work out, if you weren't pulled out, if, you know, God didn't show up in this, you know, certain way that the problem was with you. Um, this the mm-hmm. problem was on your side, right? Yeah. Um, so at any point in this, did that narrative start to break down? Because, you know, okay. Yeah. So you have, we all go through various circumstances that challenge uh, certain ideas or expectations or beliefs that we have. Um, sometimes, you know, most of the time, I'll be honest, most of the time what I end up seeing is people, it, what it does is it challenges people's view of God because they held mm-hmm. a certain perspective of God and who, who, who God was, what they would expect God to be able to do because he says it very clearly, you know, these, there's very specific things that are stated, uh, and people put all their faith and their, their trust in these statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when their time comes, cause it's easy to say all this stuff when you see other people going through it, when their time comes, it, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And that challenges, you know, for them, it doesn't challenge who they were, who they are, what they're doing. It challenges, their faith it challenges their perspective of god it challenges their expectations it challenges you know their understanding like well maybe there's something about the way god operates that i don't understand maybe mm-hmm. my picture is wrong maybe i don't have that part figured out but it sounds like for you mostly it was what is wrong with me mm-hmm. right yeah is that, is that correct? yeah so at any point do you did that did you begin to you know consider that well what if it's not just me? What if am I am I thinking something? My expectations of God is any of this off? Should I even be expecting this from Him? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if I ever had that conscious sort of thought process, but I I did reach a point where I think I just started to take ownership of my um, recovery and um, just sort of I can be a pretty stubborn person and I remember my therapist saying that to me like the thing that got you sick is the thing that's going to get you better like you're you know when you're all in something you're all in it (laughs) and when you decide to you know when you get to that point where you're able to start working to get better you're you're going to get better you you can do this and she was right Um, it was like they, they reached a point where we were talking about basically sending me away to a, like a rehab um, in another state and I was going to have to drop out of college and I'd be behind a semester. I was already, you know, I was a year ahead, but I would be, it would put me behind. And I was, it was like, I said, absolutely not. And <laughs> fine. Okay. And so I, you know, finally kind of started to do what I needed to do mm-hmm. um, for myself. Um and so I think, honestly, I feel like that phase in my life started something that where I am maybe now a little bit of compartmentalizing, sort of like there's God and God is good and God is faithful and, and does amazing things in the world, but some things are up to us. And 
I'm not saying that this is a view that I want. I wish I could change. I, I want to work on. So I'm not saying that this is, I'm not preaching this to anyone. Um, I'm just saying this is the reality of, sure, yeah. of where I was and where I, I, if I'm honest, where I probably am now. Um, sort of, okay, but I have ownership in this, but I also have, I'm empowered to do something about it. So I think I still didn't, I wasn't angry at God about it or disappointed that um, things didn't just happen for me. Um, I think... Um, I don't know. I think I was able to sort of extend some grace to myself a little too, though. I was less rigid. It's ironic. I remember thinking I was less rigid with my like Bible reading and praying and everything in the time whenever I was in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt a little guilty about that. Like I'm not, I'm on paper, my Bible journal, my, you know, my prayer journal, my Bible reading journal doesn't look as good right now, but I feel better. And it's like, because I was giving myself a little bit of room to breathe and yeah, it took yeah. me a long time to realize like, okay, maybe God is giving me that room to breathe too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it makes you like you are, you're, you're the Christian you're supposed to be. You're doing all the right things. Um, and we think by doing those things, right. That that is, that's what makes us, you know, who we're supposed to be. Uh, just in the sense of doing them. Um, so if you don't read your Bible, you can feel guilty, and you should feel guilty because, well, you should have read your Bible, right? You don't journal, you should feel guilty because, well, you should have. That, that, that indicates a deeper issue. But the reality is doing those things themselves are not, uh, are, are not the ultimate result we're looking for, right? Those are disciplines that we utilize to help us. And so in this sense, it was stepping back and not doing those things as, religiously maybe <laughs> right uh, that help help maybe c- create some space there for you to see some things mm-hmm. um, which I think proves the fact that these are resources or tools uh, disciplines are designed to help us but if we feel guilty when we don't do the discipline mm-hmm. we need to reconsider why we're doing it in the first place mm-hmm. right yeah right. okay so you make it through this you're you said it was about a five-year mm-hmm. span, right? In that process, you graduated. Yes. Yeah, I graduated and then <laughs> went um, went overseas um, again to India oh. um, <laughs> and to start grad school there. Um, that was maybe not the wisest decision, um, but um, so that's another tangent about um, what that experience was like, but mm-hmm. went overseas there, it didn't work out exactly like I expected. And I ended up back in the U S about six months later and finished my master's um, in the Dallas area. So, okay. Okay. Um, And so at some point you met Zach, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So you got your master's in Dallas, Mm -hmm. but you end up back in Lubbock. Lubbock. Yeah. So um, my master's program, I did a thesis and I had to defend my thesis was the final thing I had to do to, um, to graduate. And I had finished all my coursework and I was supposed to finish my thesis in the end of the spring semester. So in May, but I couldn't get the timing right. I couldn't finish my research in time to submit everything. Cause you had to have everything submitted like in March or something to defend by May. And so I, I missed the deadline. And so I wasn't going to, I was gonna have to do a summer defense. So 
but I was done with everything. And like my lease in my apartment was up. And so I just moved back home because all I literally had to do was come back and give a presentation to my thesis chairs. And then that was it. And then they would approve it and I would graduate. Mm -hmm. So I moved back home and worked for the summer and everything. And then, um, just drove back here to defend and then back Mm -hmm. home and I graduated. Um, and, um, so I had my undergrad degree. I did an internship at a rape crisis center. And so I got a job there, um, after grad school and there in Lubbock. Um, I had no intention to settle in Lubbock, but anyone who's been in the job market knows that it's really hard to get a job when you don't have experience. And so I was applying for all these jobs literally all over the world. Cause I was convinced I was going to do international work and, um, I didn't, I didn't apply for any jobs in Lubbock and I was approached about a job in Lubbock, mm. um, at my, where I had done my internship. And so I took it because I needed a job and it was a good place to start and get experience. And I met Zach like two weeks later. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I definitely, I think, I feel like in that season of my life, I was able to sort of see like God's providence in things. Mm-hmm. And I think I started to really, and maybe, maybe living in India helped me with that. Like just yeah. seeing the, because that's one thing, again, we could do a whole probably talk on that culture and some of the like lessons to be learned through it. But that's one thing that I will say, um, if you ever go to India, everything is religious, everything. Everything has significance and symbolism. And I mean, it's insane um, just how different it is. And I think it helped me to be more mindful of the that thread throughout yeah. my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I could attribute it to that, I guess. Yeah. But I definitely saw, you know, wow, this is how could this have happened? I mean, I didn't apply for a job in Lubbock and I got a job in Lubbock and then I met my now husband Yeah, two weeks later, just out of nowhere, yeah. never wasn't looking. <laughs> and, right, right, right. Um, okay. Yeah. What's behind all of that? Like what, what drove Was that just an opportunity? What, first of all, what was your degree in? Yeah. So my degree was in social work, my okay. undergrad and graduate degrees. Okay. And so that leads you up back to Lubbock, various mm-hmm. circumstances in your rape, rape crisis center. Okay. So you meet Zach. Okay. Let's talk about this time period before y'all cross paths. Um, at what point did, and I, and I asked this because, um, because I know you, at what point did you begin to question certain things that you have been, I guess, always believed or taught to believe about things like women's roles, um, you know, who God is, mm-hmm. um, you know, all those, all, all the stuff that you challenged Zach, even, mm-hmm. uh, when you guys, um, you know, met, mm-hmm. um, at what point did those things start coming up? Were there, was there something behind that? Was there something that instigated those uh, that thinking or was this just continuously Jill yeah. always thinking things through, taking it to its ultimate end? Yeah. I mean, I think I, it's honestly, that was something that sort of was developing over time 
and I was just sort of forming my own views on things. I do think that living in a developing country, even for just a few months, um, and seeing things from a, from an extreme perspective, because I think, you know, the difference, the way women are treated in, um, developing countries is not that dissimilar to what happens here. Just it's more, it's a more extreme version of it. And so it sort of, it sort of did the work for me, like showed me the, the taking it to its full extent. And I think that helped a lot too. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, it's hard to pinpoint sort of a, a point at which I, I just think I had those views. And it's, I mean, so all going on, you know how I am. Mm-hmm. I go off. Mm-hmm. Um, even in high school, I, re- I was like, I don't know if I ever want to get married. And I don't know if I want to have kids. And um, part of that was just because of the example that I'd been shown of what that looked like. And I thought that doing those things would mean losing my identity would mean not being able to make my own decisions. And I really valued that independence and I couldn't, I had never met somebody that I thought, well, if I marry them, I could still have, have the career I want to have or have the opinions I have or have any kind of autonomy or, perspective that I would just have to be absorbed by them. And, um, so I think I just had resigned myself to not even resigned myself. I had sort of decided that it probably wouldn't happen because, and that was okay because I was happy. Um, but that I think just because of the examples I'd been shown. So rather than say, Oh no, I need to conform to this in order to have these things. I said, well, I can't conform to that. So I guess I'm not gonna have those things. Um, and so then I met him and I think that, um, when I talked about things, he listened (laughs) and, um, so it was like, okay, finally a a captive audience. So, um, I just went for it. Yeah. Experiences, um, from as a child, then, you know, going through the AIM program, living overseas, coming back, you go through some trials, you go back overseas. You know, all of this has some effect on you. You're seeing things through your eyes, your experiences, um, but you still have a filter. You still have a lens through which you're seeing stuff. Other cultures are affecting you. You're, you're you know, especially, I mean, um, I can only imagine what it, what it was like in India, um, knowing what I do know about India. Um, and you know, that no doubt has an effect on you. It it is feeding something, right? At least allowing you to see things, um, that cause you to think, that cause you to question, you know, out of all this time, look around and you see the, this dominant male culture. Did that uh, begin to affect how you saw God, or did you just think that we've got this wrong? Mm-hmm. Contribute. I think it definitely contributed to my view of God as I don't want to say my view of God as distant, but my view of 
got as dispassionate, I guess. Um, Because, like, I... I don't feel like it was ever, I would ever have said this explicitly or like it was a conscious thought, but there's sort of this idea that I was less important because I didn't have this really active role. And because I was told my whole life of what I couldn't do. And even though we don't have the concept of the priesthood in the church of Christ, it still felt sort of like that idea of like you have to go through someone yeah. Um, to accomplish certain things. Um, you know, especially like I had lived overseas and I came back and I wanted to, I wanted to, the reason I went to social work is because I wanted to do ministry and I didn't know if I'd ever get married. And I knew, um, that a, a church of Christ woman wanting to do full-time ministry was going to face a lot of barriers. And so I made the decision to do the next best thing and do what I considered to be vocational ministry and help people through social work. Um, but that was a conscious decision because of the limitations. Um, and I think I felt like that was the place God wanted for me. Like, like God made this structure again, God's the boss. He set this structure up. It makes me less important, but that's just the way it is. So I guess I'm less important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, but I, but then I saw, I started to see the, the cultural bias that was sort of, you know, integrated into that in that there are things that are in the Bible. We can debate about what they actually mean, but there are explicit scriptures about what women can and can't do and things like that. And we can, you know, there's those. Mm -hmm. But then I had people saying things like women shouldn't take the trash out or um, I don't know, just like the idea of like, well, a woman shouldn't have that personality type or, um, you know, just things that I'd say, well, why? Like, that's not like who's where does it say in the Bible what the way you divide your chores up at your house? That's not <laughs> like that's not biblical. I mean, you can argue all day long about whether or not a woman can pray and prophesy in the church service, but there's nothing in the Bible that says that like, I can't go mow my lawn and, or that, you know, my dad or my future husband can't be the one that changes the kids diapers. Like that's not in the Bible. And so, um, I think that's when I started to realize like, Hey, like people are operating off of some like serious biases and sort of cultural things that they've absorbed that have no basis in scripture and that's shaping a lot of how we view this and I think that started to give me like light a fire under me a little bit about like what is really going on what does God really want out of this and how does God really see me um and so and I remember like in France, there were a few AIM people that came after me while they overlapped with me by a year and they were guys. 
and they would complain about having to do stuff on Sunday morning, like, oh, I've got to do the communion talk or I've got to whatever. And I, one day I just went off on them and I said, do you know what kind of privilege you have to be able to do that? Do you know how much I would love to be able to do that? Like I have so much that I would say and I can't say it. So stop complaining <laughs> and recognize your privilege, you know, and, yeah. um, The, you know, this is this is and this this is fascinating to me because you start off and you end almost where you started, which is you still don't have a necessarily a different view of God per se. Mm-hmm. It was more of we we've got some things that are screwed up, and part of that was your coming to realize how you were viewed. And at some point, did you realize this is not how God sees me? Mm-hmm. Right? Is, yeah. is that is that what happened? Yeah. I mean, and I can't say like there was like a moment. Sure. Um, but I think in realizing that there are things that I that that I have a role to play, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in coming to terms with the fact that I don't think I'm restricted to a lot of the things that I thought I was mm-hmm. um, has sh- helped me to see that it's kind of happened simultaneously. It's not necessarily sure. a direct yeah. correlation, yeah. but it's sort of in that process of as I've sort of looked into those things and decided what I believe about those things, I've simultaneously thought about how God views everyone and kind of what that means for all of those people who view who view things so differently from me and I don't have answers <laughs> for a lot of it mm-hmm. and it's still a work in progress but I think it kind of all comes full circle in that I go back to you know little 8-year-old me asking what people believe and being really obsessed with it and realizing that it's not black and white and like I'm a, I don't know. I see things really visually like Mm -hmm. this idea of like God having everybody all like scooping everyone up and we're all on an equal field kind of versus this idea of there's a line and we're on other sides of it or there's tears. Mm -hmm. And it was just kind of that realization of we're all kind of different iterations on the same goal and, I don't know. I think realizing that, like I talked about before, that idea that I still struggle with, of like that God delights in me and that he loves me and that he wants relationship and he thinks things I do are cool. And, um, still something that I have to work through whether or not I really, really believe it. I can say it out loud and I know I'm supposed to believe it, but do I really believe it? Um, sort of like in a marriage, like having true security and that Zach really loves me. And, you know, that's something that you have to really, I have to have had to really work on, you know, that's a hang up I've had, um, through no fault of Zach's, but just feeling worthy of that. Mm -hmm. And I think ongoing to recognize that with God and to realize that God doesn't see me as a woman. He sees me as a person and, um, 
that I'm not on a different tier than someone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. So what, um, how do you see God today? It's hard to put it into words. I think like, is he, the, is he yeah. a white yeah. bearded, angry, muscular man in the distance? Yeah. Say from a, <laughs> like from a visual, like when I visualize God, I just, I guess I, I visualize like essence, like, yeah. uh-huh. and, and I think I always kind of have, I don't know if I sounds ever like gave it. God like yeah. a, sounds you know, like a personhood. Mm-hmm. Um, as I always recognized that he was bigger than, than a body. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's definitely the visual image. Like if I were to sure. paint God, that's yeah. what it would look like. Just like this, like multicolored kind of like cloud that moves and, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I'm at a point now where I'm able to see God as, as grace and, as being it's like I was watching this video the other day I showed Zach it was this little kid um and the caption said um something about like this is God watching us like from above and it was this little like two-year-old and he's walking with this cup of water I think it was water I don't know and he like he's like says something like I'm not gonna spill and then he trips and goes oops I spilled and then he goes and grabs a washcloth and like trying to wipe it up but while he's wiping up he decides halfway through that he wants to drink the rest of the water and so he like drinks it and pours it on himself and then he like cleaning up some more and then the next scene he's like walking back over that same spot and he just like slips and falls it's just like so cute Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that like Sin is cute to God by any sure, means. Sure. But the idea that like of God saying, look, they're trying. Look, like, mm-hmm. oh, like, that's not how you do that at all. But, <laughs> oh, look, you yeah. know, like, look at their sure. heart. And I think sure. like, that's, I think the it's view I like have those, of God now. Those idiots down yeah. there. Right? Yeah. And I think I never thought about God looking at me or anyone that way of okay. saying like, wow, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it does. It anyway, does. I think that's where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel any more? I mean, is there some emotional attachment there? Like you, you think of God being love, uh, and I, I obviously love is not just an emotion, um, but um, it's not not an emotion, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, when you think about you said God being grace, um, you know, I think the picture you you paint it is. Uh, is is a good one for that i think um you know uh, i like that i've never um i, I don't think i've ever <laughs> like, i can honestly i've never thought that i've never, th- I've never thought of it like that oh look at them look how cute they are you know they're really sucking at this we need to help them out you know that's always been damn it get it right boy you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. but obviously a lot of that, it has to do with, you know, my own upbringing. Problem, mm-hmm. which I could not do. <laughs> <laughs> turn around every moment. I turn around. And, like, I remember as a kid crying, thinking, I'm always crying. Why am I always crying? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, what the hell, man? I'm always crying. And then it got to the point where I was, 
man, I'm in trouble again. Why am I always in trouble? Like, <laughs> what do I do? You know, and um, and obviously I, that transferred over into, and it's very easy to do though. Mm-hmm. still using masculine pronouns because it just makes sense. Sure. Um, I realized recently I was t- telling Zach, like I remember when I was a child, my aunt sent me a birthday card and she put a scripture in it. And I don't remember it was something from Proverbs, I think, but she changed the pronouns in it to like, blessed is she, you know, or something like that. And I, you know, didn't know my Bible well enough to know that she had done that. And I read the scripture and I was like, that's so cool. And I remember thinking, God talks about a, a woman in the Bible. Like it was sort of like, <laughs> what? And I, I I looked it up and then I was so disappointed oh, when I saw it was really he. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, oh well. I'll oh. pretend that it said she, you know, like, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Zach and I were talking about that recently and I realized like, wow, like I never applied that and thought, yeah, that's that's another way in which like my male counterparts had an advantage over me. It's yes. like the yeah. fact that like they read that and they relate to it instantly, but I have to like manipulate it and pretend that it applies to me. If you know, and yeah. so I didn't realize what an, how much it mattered until I read it that way, and then I thought, oh wow, like you know, now I feel I feel like like that's really speaking to me. Because mm-hmm. it used the right pronouns. <laughs> so it does matter. <laughs> um, and so let me ask you this. When you, read, when you read the Bible and you have the understanding that you have now, is it easier for you to see through those pronouns? Yeah, I think um, definitely. Um, I think it's easier for me to see it as, like a, as a universal. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the reality of the fact that there, 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 it does that it can easily feel like a boys club, yeah, and like that God has a boys club kind of, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you know, and I know that um, like Zach's talked about the idea of like the spirit being a woman um, mm-hmm. is like that's really significant to me, mm-hmm. and another thing that I didn't realize mm-hmm. I needed until I developed that concept, and I realized like. I feel like this kinship and connection that wasn't there. And maybe that's what I needed. Maybe this distance that I've felt throughout my life of God being dispassionate and just sort of there to oversee things. Maybe what I needed was that the spirit to connect me to him um, through her. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. That's good. All right, that's going to conclude this episode. I hope you guys have benefited from this conversation. I hope you've got some things, some nuggets of stuff that you could really chew on and and think about uh, moving forward as you consider God, who God is, and your mental visualization of God. And join me next time as we continue to explore Becoming Like Jesus from the inside out.